I often uh, stare at Van Damme's cheeks. He's a very very well-structured man. Hello, Culture Vultures, and welcome to the very first episode of Cultcast by Lost in Cult. Uh, Here we talk in-depth about all things cult media, from video games to movies, music to board games, and so much more. I'm Andrew, and I'll be just one of your hosts. We'll be hearing from your other host in an upcoming episode, so please look forward to it. Before we go any further, let me introduce you to our guest today. Uh, First up is the man who runs the show, Quite literally, he's the director of Lost in Cult and art director for gaming journal Lock On. It's the jaw-dropping John Doyle. Tried to do a tongue twister there. How are you doing, John? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for the uh, lavish introduction. Ah, so it's always it's always nice. Starts everything off on a nice footing, and then I can ask the tough questions later, and you'll still like <laughs> yeah. me for it. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, because one person with a J in their name is never enough, I'm also joined by fellow Lincolnite, Imps Forever, and creative director of Lock On. It's the Jim Dandy, Jason Madison. I don't know where Hello. I got Jim Dandy from. How are you? Jim Dandy. <laughs> I'm great, thank you. Good. I thought you was from Grimsby. I, well, I was born in Lincoln, moved to oh. Grimsby and then moved back to Lincoln. So, oh. you see... A true fellow Lincolnite, okay. Exactly. We've we've got that cleared up now. (laughs) Yeah. Did you know that people from Grimsby, I think it's Grimsby, they're yellow bellies? I thought that was from everyone in Lincolnshire. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, apparently in Lincolnshire, um, the term duck is widely used Mm -hmm. and is a a mark of respect because it means duke. So that's uh, some Lincoln uh, trivia for you. (laughs) <laughs> hopefully much more to come in the future because i'm sure you know nobody knows where lincoln is i always find this nobody knows where. well lincoln uh, is it, this is the thing no one knew where lincoln was until uh the in-betweeners basically said the university of lincoln's a shithole yeah so, that's true. <laughs> my work well a place where um i work but anyway yeah oh, i have no idea where lincoln is i just assume you were like in some ethereal plane somewhere um, yeah. I have no Just idea. That, I didn't even know it was a place. Like this is new to me. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Oh. Uh, anyway, we, it, sorry. Yeah, get go on. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, if if you if you listen, can you don't know where Lincoln is? Go look it up, uh, or let us know where you think it is on a map. That might be interesting. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's move on, and uh, I'm going to put you both on the spot now. Because uh, I'm going to ask you to play a little game, a little bit of an icebreaker, since it's our first episode. Um, and hopefully it'll give everybody a little bit of an idea um, about what kind of a culture vulture you both are. Um, and I'm going to call this game the Cult Cast Mash, which is kind of like the Monster Mash, but with less dancing. There's a, you don't have to dance, it's fine. Um, so <laughs> what's going to happen is you're going to pick two characters from different game franchises that you love put them together in the last game that you played while also mashing in the plot of your favorite movie and the last song that you listen to will be playing over the credits i'll i'll give you an example so this is what it is so for me we'd see ooh la la from space channel 5 and joel from the last of us start together in resident evil village a game where joel takes in ooh la la after her family are killed by chris redfield and he teaches her how to be a cleaner uh in inverted commas of course that means hitman uh as ooh la la digs through the soil to give joel Joel's favourite plant, A Home at the Very End, Confiding Me by Kylie Minogue plays over the credits. Because uh, that is the last song that I listened to. Um, so yes, and my favourite movie is indeed Leon. Uh, the Fifth Element comes a very close second. Ooh. I'm a massive Luc Besson fan. Leon's a so. wicked film. Yeah. That's a very, very good film. Not watched that in years. That was always one of my favourites, for sure. Yeah. Uh, John? Yes. Can we come to you first? Come on! If, if you've understood the concept, that's the first thing. It's very, it's very convoluted. Uh... Yeah, I kind of have. Um, I'm <laughs> just trying to think of two game characters to throw in the mix. Uh, two of my favourite games ever. Okay. Um, 
Leon Kennedy and Solaire from Dark Souls. Okay. They mm-hmm. are currently trying to survive a hostile alien planet in Returnal mm-hmm. whilst um, Trash Human um, plays over the top of the credits. Okay. Is that correct? What's... Kind, yeah. I I knew this was gonna like probably fall on its ass because it's like a ridiculous concept for a, an icebreaker. Um, what film would be in there if you were gonna mash up Return oh, okay. with your favorite film? Well, my my favorite film is The Thing, so it's very okay. similar, really. So yeah. they'll be on an alien planet trying to identify which one of them <laughs> is human, while <laughs> Trash Human plays over the credits. There you go. What a fun movie. But it all sounds like it works quite well together. Actually. Yeah, it does. It's quite good. Um, Jason, I've given you enough time now to think of this, so hopefully you've got like the best one. So let's 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 hear yours. Right, okay. Two characters from off two favourite games. So it's gonna be Ryo Hasuki from Shenmue. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna be Yuna from Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. So they are currently going around the village of Resident Evil Village. Rio is looking for sailors, as always. Yeah, of course. And uh, Yuda is there to support him with his, with her, sorry, not him, with her summoning skills. But um, they're being chased um, pertinently by um, uh, the tall lady. Um, so trying to evade her at all costs whilst Rio is looking for sailors. And looking for a particular sailor. And um, I think that's in reference to my favourite film of all time, which has to be Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Did nice. I have to think of a song as well? Yeah, the last song that you listened to. The last song that I listened to? God, I love it. I'll tell you what the last song that came up on my iPhone was. Uh, it's Backstreet Boys, I Want It That Way. Interesting <laughs> song to play with the credits. <laughs> Very <Yeah>. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's um, it, really. I... But completely on character. Sounds like an interesting film. I'm not sure I'd pay to see it, to be honest, <laughs> or, or play it if it was a game. Uh, <laughs> but there we go. All right. Well, at least people kind of know what we like, uh, which is the, the point of it, even if it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So Sci-fi yeah. and Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I what mean, if it was like Backstreet's Back... Like, that would make sense, because that whole video was sci-fi, right? Were they, like, on a spaceship or something? One of them was a I vampire? Th- no, I, I think they were in the, the house that was used in the, the film Casper. Were they? Yeah. Uh, what, yeah, what, if you watch Casper, video, you'll see the, the, the upper party near the end. There's a, a big hall, and that was um, the setting for, yeah, Backstreet's Back. There we go. Yeah. That every song day. came out when I was, like, six. I... I... I, I had no idea it was filmed in Casper's ca- uh, house. I'm now looking at it. <laughs> wow. Oh, <laughs> this dear. takes me back. I, I think that cake, because my birthday's on Halloween, I think uh, I think my mum got me the CD single, you know, for Backstreet's Back. Oh, really? For my birthday. Yeah. Not... God, that was it. 1997, that was. I, I found out a couple of days ago from my dad that I always believed that my first ever cassette was... Um, I think it was a Slipknot album, but it uh, it turned out my first ever cassette was actually Spice World. <laughs> Such a contrast. A yeah, a bit different. Yeah, I went from different. Spice World to Corn and Slipknot really quickly. <laughs> my, uh, you're you're too young for this, probably, John. Yeah, you would be. My my first cassette was uh, Two Unlimited, Two Unlimited by No Limit, I think, or the other way around. The other way around, yeah, yeah No Limit, yeah, Two Unlimited, yeah, yeah. yeah. I have no idea uh, who these people are. I'm going to have to be (laughs) checking these out after. Oh, yeah. Some great... um, (laughs) My first first album that my mum bought for me on cassette, with a Walkman as well, I can't remember which birthday this was for. It's great. Um, was Enjoy It by Kylie Minogue. And um, I think she knew from that point on that I was gay. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. Anyway, and I still like Kylie now. I've not, I've not turned into a Slipknot fan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 you know, 
God, I, I, I had uh, one of Carly's albums back in 2000, I think. So I like that song. Um, oh, it, Spinning Around? Getting, Hot Pants? No, it's the one no. after that. The one after that. It's um, quite a dancey one. Uh, All of them? On a Night Like This. That's the one yeah. I like. Yeah. That's, uh, I've only that, heard of Spinning Around, to be completely yeah. honest. <laughs> on a Night Like This, I think, had Rutger Hauer in the, in the music. Oh, yeah, yeah. Legend. So, there you go. Learning some new things already in our first ever podcast. Well, there is another bit of trivia for you for, for Carly. Uh, she, was in, um, she was in Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme. She was, indeed. Right, when that music video for Spinning Around came out, it was all in the papers, you know, oh, look at the, look at the arse on her. And that was with that, and she achieved that uh, figure from Van Damme showing her how to do butt clenches, you know, these wow. exercises to make her bum bigger. Yeah, you can look that one up. <laughs> but I will follow the same regime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll report back and let you know how it goes. <laughs> oh dear. I mean, I, of, I often, uh, I often uh, stare at Van Damme's cheeks. <laughs> he's a very well-structured man very very much so yeah and and who wouldn't uh who <laughs> exactly. wouldn't want to look um anyway <laughs> moving on before we get uh waylaid on uh buttocks uh, let's, uh let's go to the more serious stuff <laughs> so i think i think it's fair to say uh that we're all predominantly gamers our, our love of gaming is how we met each other really uh i think that's right right like i'd say so basically yeah yeah definitely uh through lo- well i met everyone here and everyone we were involved with through lockdown basically lockdown was good for something i mean it's gonna i mean video gaming is gonna come come up a lot in mm. Coldcast, of course uh, and it's really the central theme for gaming journal names in the title gaming journal uh that we all work on together which is lock on uh, mentioned it already. John, of course, and Jason are both directors uh, of that particular project. And John, this is something that I know you've been wanting to do for the longest time because we've had conversations about it in the past before you actually came up yeah. with it. Um, what made you finally take the plunge and just set it up? Uh, not just Lock On, but also the, the brand of Lost in Cult. I mean, if you look at the Lost in Cult Twitter page, I think I set it up in 2017. Um, wow. I've just been sat on it. Um, I've been wanting to do it for the longest time. And then um, with lockdown, it kind of gave me the time I needed. Um, and then I'd started, you know, working for other projects, building my confidence and something that I used to think was, you know, not achievable through all the people that I've met along the way. I kind of um, managed to get it going, really. And it's uh, it has been a huge, uh, you know, help, you know, both mentally it's been really enjoyable to kind of put it together. It's helped with, you know, my confidence to no end. And it's been really helpful during the whole lockdown to have something to, you know, uh, to do with my head, you know, something to like enjoy and look forward to. And it's also, like Jason said, it's allowed me to meet loads of great people and kind of like keep in touch with them. And I've been chatting with artists and writers and gamers. And the whole, the whole idea of Lock On really is to talk about why we love games, you know, and all the important aspects of them, like the stories and the worlds and, the entire you know industry and kind of look at it from a like an artistic perspective as well and i feel like that's really allowed me to kind of get close to people and that's kind of what pushed me really i remember sit, sitting there one day and i'm like right, i just have to do this and I, I i emailed jason i emailed everyone else like right we're doing it come on we're doing it now we're launching it in like a couple of months time we have to let's get this going and kind of just push the buttons really and um yeah it, it nerve-wracking to say the least because i was always one of those people that i didn't do something because of um the fear of failure yeah um i was so terrified of it failing um, and kind of like proving to myself that it, you know it couldn't work etc but i feel like now that we're in the final stages of production like and it looks incredible i'm so i'm so glad that we you know we did do this and like we've now got this fantastic team together for future volumes and you know people are starting to you know take notice of us and it's just all coming together and yeah it's great it's really helped you know me as a person definitely amazing that is awesome um jason how did you get roped into it (laughs) how how did you kind of start talking to john about this all you know um i 
for years I've had gaming forums and uh, you know I, d- I did a computer games design course at Lincoln yeah you know, University of Lincoln a long time ago and um, I think during lockdown I was on furlough and you know I've, I've always read comments and forums stuff but I've never partaked in any conversation whatsoever because I just didn't have the confidence to or I think you know you sometimes see a lot more toxic stuff than positive stuff but then I just started using my Twitter and then started engaging in conversations and I think through buying your uh, through getting the Dreamcast uh, years book um, that Excellent. then allowed me to start connecting <laughs> with other Dreamcast fans yeah mm-hmm. a book, a book by uh, Andrew here um, and then I just started getting people following me and then talking more I think I engaged in a few arguments with people. Uh, I'm honestly not a console war person. I just love games. Just really passionate about talking about stuff and raising certain subjects. And then I think I started conversing with John a lot over, across a few tweets. And then John messaged me and uh, basically said, oh, you seem to know a lot about video games and you seem really passionate. And we just got talking. I think this was probably about June or July last year. It was definitely in the summer. And... You know, I was on furlough just playing video games more than ever, than I've done in the past 10 years. And then um, John just came to me and said, uh, you know, um, I do this and that, but I'm, I've got this idea for a magazine, as it was back then, uh, called Lock On. And we just took bouncing off ideas and he asked me if I wanted to help him out. Got to know, you know, became friends, got to know each other a bit more. And uh, we've just been talking and talking on Zoom every week since then, developing this and we kind of felt, you know, along the way, um, yeah, everyone, you know, magazines have been done for years, but why are we different? And then we eventually thought about, well, you know, we want to do content that's, you know, very thoughtful. So we thought of uh, turning it into like a, a journal, like an academic journal. And then it was just the two of us with input from um, the wonderful Elisa, um, you know, uh, towards the end of, well, towards the tail end of 2020, really. And then we just, we then started building an actual plan um, using some shared files. And then we started contacting people. And then it's just gone really quickly from there. And then suddenly we're at the Kickstarter stage, which I don't know, we probably didn't think was ever going to happen. And then suddenly we're here. We've got core teams. We've got staff. You know, it, it's come a really long way, you know, after all the countless conversations and exchanges that we've had and here we are today assembling this really beautiful book in the background which we cannot wait to get in people's hands i'm excited for it i mean like <laughs> I, I i know i've written something for it but i've oh, not yeah. really apart from, I, you know i don't know what it's going to look like on the whole i've seen the glimpses that i've been shown but like but actually having that thing in my hand is going to be amazing mm-hmm. i can't wait to see it What's the vision for Lock On as it goes forward? It, when when I when I uh, like was originally concepting this ages ago, the original original concept quite a while back years um, was to have the issues in like themes. So you would have a theme around, say, uh, horror, a theme around uh, fantasy, a theme around. Um, I think our first ever volume was going to be about like empty worlds and things, and then it kind of then transitioned into other into a oh let's let's do a um let's do a playstation focused magazine and then it transitioned to the well why because if we if we if we focus on all all systems then we can tell all the fantastic stories you know we're not like a a gaming magazine you would buy in a shop and read um you know looking for scores or news and etc it's not really what this is i mean we have our game recommendations which um we don't really focus on the negative. We kind of focus on the positive of the games and, you know, why they're, you know, why they were great, why they were important, etc. cetera. Um, I feel like, so the plan really going forward is each journal will focus on the industry as a whole, past and present, uh, less so on the future, more so on the now. Um, I mean, a lot of the time when we talk about games, they'll be retroactive. Um, so, you know, we'll be, we'll be looking at it a couple of months have passed. How has the storyline matured? How does it sit with people now? You know, what opinions do we now have on it, etc. And I feel like we'll, what we'll, we'll, the key focus will be, we will look at various platforms, various genres. We will try and, um, support indie games as much as we possibly can. 
you know we love it we love indies and they you know we, we would like to use our platform to give them as much exposure especially to look at you know the important things like the music the artwork and any game that really cares about its audience um it, i kind of we wanted to step away from like looking at you know triple a really or more so games as a service anything that like is like a big games as a service like a cloud-based game an online game we're not really going near those we want to focus yeah. on the nuance the stories you know the single player games the indie games the games of the past the games of community nostalgia um, so that's really our focus whereas a lot of magazines now are kind of you know uh, they're aiming themselves more towards that core demographic we're kind of more going a bit enthusiast and niche but i feel like that's a better direction for what we want to do um mm. And in terms of, um, yeah, so we're going to have uh, every volume, which we're hoping next year to do quarterly, yay, um, okay. they will all be an overall focus with like key themes in every issue. Um, and obviously we're working on our plan now for volume two. And then uh, hopefully um, every few issues, we will also have um, like a special segment. So for our first volume, we obviously did a, a segment around the PlayStation 1. We would like to continue to do those type of sections every now and again um, as we can, which will have a more dedicated focus. I know we've teased one on social media recently, which uh, mm. the intention is to <laughs> to add in to one of our upcoming volumes. Very exciting. Uh, if anybody's on Twitter, you'll know what that is. We're not going to say it here just because it's, you know. Secrets. Yeah, secrets, exactly uh jason you you've kind of told us a little bit about your background that you kind of studied game design obviously your uh, your your work is in graphic design is that am i right in saying that um, yeah that's right yeah yeah so um i i work on the websites and uh i do a lot of graphic design but mainly uh publication kind of stuff so putting together academic journals booklets brochures um that's at a certain workplace um, that I studied at many years ago. Um, spent most of my twenties pretty much procrastinating, always thinking, you know, I'm not good enough for this, good enough for that. So I, I wanted to be a 3D character modeler, basically. That was my ambition to get in the games industry and work on 3D models and stuff like mm -hmm. that and uh, 3D level design. Um, just never, you know, I'm a jack of all trades. Never fully go through with anything. Ended up, do, ended up doing many different things during my 20s, but here I am at the moment uh, with my first break in the industry, I guess, working on this. And uh, hopefully my knowledge and, um, you know, skill set can be put to some good use, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and John, what's your background in terms of where you've come from to get to here, I guess? Well, I, I kind of, uh, like, have don't have the benefit of uh, GCSEs and degrees and whatnot. I was a bit of a school dropout, um, didn't really go anywhere, kind of went in the wrong path, uh, ended up in jobs that weren't going anywhere. So then I kind of self-taught myself graphic design. Um, I've always loved games. I mean, since I was very, I mean, I was probably the only six or seven year old that you could think of that knew the ins and outs of like obscure japanese rpgs or obscure japanese shmups and i was playing pc engine games when everyone else was playing you know super nintendos and i was always a bit niche um and i kind of loved horror and movies and but i i really struggled it's like at school um i presume that's from i think it's adhd they call it um so i was really like i have the worst uh attention so it was really bad when I was younger. So I kind of like flunked out of school. And then, like I said, I've self-taught myself, really. And then I got involved. One day I was uh, talking to my partner, Elisa, and I said to her, do you know what? I really want to just, uh, I really want to start drawing again because it used to like really calm me down to draw. So I, uh, I emailed um, Ninty Media and I said, oh, any chance you've got a spot that I could draw for you? And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. And then I immediately got quite involved with Ninty Media, the Switch player. And then before long, I, I think after a couple of issues, they uh, they bumped me into the team and then after a couple more issues they were like oh, do you want to be the creative uh, director I was like okay so uh, I kind of took that role quite quickly and it, I kind of loved it um, and then that kind of all the stuff I've wanted to do for so long then like I love art like I adore art and I adore design and I adore product design and well-made products and well-made books and pretty things I <laughs> like I love it and I love designing it and it kind of my whole life I always thought like I was always clearly fighting against what I should have been doing. I remember when I was in my yearbook, uh, 
they kind of like everyone says what they think you're going to be and mine was graphic designer and for some reason I never did it I never took it seriously and I left school and I tried everything that wasn't that ended up in retail as so many people do um and I did I did really well at that I mean I was I was good at that I very quickly got um promoted to um distribution roles within the video game industry so I was dealing with you know millions of pounds of stock I was doing sales analysis for big gaming companies then I started taking over um looking after indie game stores for one of the biggest distributors in the UK so I you know I've always been involved in games but never so much the design side and then I started chatting with a, a guy at Sony and we um we started having these really long conversations about like design and stuff and he was just like have you ever done packaging design or anything like that? you should really try and get into that and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be cool if I started trying to make my own packaging and books and stuff? But I never really got a break because the industry is very much who you know. Um, mm. So basically, I spent the, the next few years trying to meet as many people as I could. So I would make a point of just randomly sparking conversation with people on Twitter, on social media. I would just send emails to game directors or sales analysis people, which I'm lucky enough to have known quite a few over the years because that used to be my job, dealing with get video mm. game sales analysis. So kind of... I'm lucky enough to keep those people, but then I kind of use my industry contacts to make friends. And that combined with the Ninty Media aspect has given me the confidence then to, you know, go and make this product. That I've, I, you know, combined everything that I've ever loved, you know, into one design and aim it at the people that, you know, love video games and the art and the stories. And I met Jason because of your book. Um, mm. I think we both backed it and then we followed each other one day and we started chatting about it. And then the next minute we were talking <laughs> about different games and that's what I was like, Oh, by the way, I have this idea, you know, I started uh, listing the facts out. I think I probably approached you, Andrew, at the same time and mentioned what my ideas were. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of gone from there really, but I'm, mm. that's my background. I feel like, I feel like I have more future than I do background in the game industry. Right. <laughs> um, I feel like we're now in a really good, I'm now in a really good spot where I know what I want to do with my life, which uh, a year ago I had no idea. So yeah, uh, the books really helped me in many ways. Definitely. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, I mean, we're on the cult cast. It's uh, it's obviously culture uh, is lost in culture is the, the point yeah. of the brand, right? Uh, exactly. lost in cult. Um, so I think it's really interesting to figure out since this is our first episode what cult means to us you know not not the religious type of cult um that's that's a different thing we're not doing a scientology podcast here although no, i'm sure worry. at some point i'll be involved in one of those yeah uh i love i love me some leah remini um but cult what does cult mean to you guys what what is it what does it mean i've i know what cult means to me in a, in a sense but we're using the word cult, I'd like to use cultivation, and I think that's part of what Lock-On is all about, you know. I feel this project has helped cultivate me to realise what I want to do with my life as well. You know, me and John have really helped each other, I think, over the past year. And this project style, you know, it means a lot to us. And, um, you know, we've got the same approach to, like, you know, aesthetics and design. But with cultivation, I think the, when we're thinking about cultivation, this book... You know this project we want to cultivate talent you know uh, giving so it's all about being a platform of for artists aspiring or established writers aspiring or established to have a, an open forum to express themselves and be able to you know um get a payment for it uh, get some recognition get some exposure um where in, you know somewhere where you know could get recognized but um wouldn't wouldn't be easy in other avenues you know like major um news publication websites and you know other magazines so um that's what court means to me at the moment cultivation and uh you awesome. know we just say that you know many people that we feature in our books and uh other aspects uh can um it can help them grow and uh yeah that's it really i think I hope that's a good uh, answer. <laughs> it's a very good answer. Uh, very good. John, what does it mean to you? Um, I mean, the entire... I've, I've just said how important all this stuff is to me in terms of the culture itself, as in... How, I mean, I'm pretty sure without video games, movies, books, music, etc., you know, that's kind of driven me uh, a lot. Uh, a lot, you know, I'm, 
I have, you know, friends and stuff, but I've always, that stuff's always inspired me more. That's always been my friend when I've needed it. Uh, games okay, you, had all... to, you had to say that you've got friends. So... Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I had to clarify that. Sorry. I'm not a complete hermit, but <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've always been, that stuff's always been there for me more than other people have it, as well, to be yeah. honest, like more than, um, mm. you know, like personal aspects of my life. So it has always been there as like a background mm. support. And I just wanted to do something that was kind of like a love letter to that. Um, and, you know, and that talks about the bad and the good, but also like addresses this stuff in a more serious manner. I mean, it upsets me that like video games for what they are aren't taken seriously like the culture around them it's taken a hundred hundred years for us to take movies seriously and start talking about how we can preserve them how we can it's going to take a very long time for people to accept video games to be preserved for arts you know when 90 percent of gamers just play candy crush or mobile games it's very hard to get the other 10 percent to be taken seriously because movies are a very different genre so is music i mean music was books were taken serious first then music then movies and games will eventually but what will games look like by the time we get there? I mean, there's a real risk that by the time we get to that stage, it's all going to be uh, looter shooters and online service games and uh, mobile games. So kind of uh, the soul of what I wanted to do was to kind of create a home for us to talk about the experiences that are there, that are artistic, you know, the single player games, the, you know, the, there's so much money involved in like these big games that there's a real risk that people can, you know, they'll easily want to invest in those experiences that rather than, you know, give single player games and stuff. So that's why I feel it's really important to highlight those those games, you know, and what they give us and how important they are. We get less and less every year, you know, released. So, yeah, for me, that was, you know, really important was to make a make a point. And as Jason said, I really wanted to be a place where we could cultivate talent. So. Um, so many writers were saying to me, like, oh, I have to write this article and I'm being paid a pittance and I have to talk about someone's haircut or I have to talk about loot. And I want to write a thesis on this and I want to do this and I want to do that. And nobody will pay me to do that because it's all about clicks. People just care about where the flamingo is in Fortnite. They don't care about my opinions on, you know, the economic situation in Final Fantasy VIII or, you know, and I was just like, mm -hmm. that's just fascinating. And I remember one day I picked up there's this amazing journal called the Smith Journal. And it's, and it's the most incredible thing. Like one page I picked it up and it was about Icelandic fishermen. Two pages there were about plants in your garden that could kill you. Then the third page was about environmental waste. The full, every page I learned something new and I wanted Lock On to be a very similar approach that I wanted every page to teach you, uh, to, you know, um, to inspire you, to make you happy, to make you sad, to make you angry, to inspire emotions. And yeah. I wanted by the end of it, every person to have gone away with, you know, like learnt something, been awed by something. And now that we're starting to see this stuff come in, I think that's most likely going to happen, at least to, you know, most people would be, um, there's stuff in there for everyone, really. And it's not, like you say, it's not just about the, uh, the. I mean, the writing is a huge part of it. There's lots of people's stories and, like you said, thesis on various things, which is going to be really interesting to read, but it's uh, it's paired with, with art as well, with amazing yeah. artwork. I feel like the art is what is such an important aspect is to, you know, show, the people doing the art clearly love the games. And I we make a point of everyone involved. We do have a discussion beforehand. Um, and sometimes I, uh, I I approach people about a uh, like a game and they're like, my art style absolutely would not suit. That. And I'm like, I don't care. Let's go for it. Let's see. Let's take a risk. <laughs> let's see. what. It, and it came out incredible. And it was just like, so this kind of mishmash like really works. And um, and it's great to talk to us like I mean, the whole community, especially for this first volume, has been so, they've been so helpful. All the people involved have been so supportive in like pushing the, you know, pushing us and getting people to know we exist. And hopefully our audience will just grow from here on out and people will be able to appreciate and enjoy what we're putting together. There's another side to all of this, and this isn't this isn't really lock on. It's not really lost in cult, but I know that both of you are very, very heavily invested and involved in does it play uh which is uh a twitter <clears throat> media website uh trying to think about it but it's about pre preservation and making sure that current generation games will continue to play in the future and you've had some huge things going on with sony at the, recently and uh you know the the issues that were going on around there um i can't even think now what it was about the battery issues the seamless yeah. Yeah. issue right if i never hear so about batteries again i'm gonna story. die happy <laughs> but it's uh i mean it's a big part i mean do, does that factor in 
to what you're doing with lock on is is this preservation in a different form with lock on um, yeah i think yeah i think so i think we're like uh, we're we're encapsulating the we're encapsulating the the stories and the tailored oldest time aren't we really we're putting into a, a physical yeah. form i felt really passionate about coming into this with john because of the fact that you know the kind of articles and features and stories uh we wanted to put in this book for really thoughtful and thoughtful for provoking uh you know content but as well designed to educate people and what i mean by that is <clears throat> when i engage with people on twitter i'm about preservation and in terms of that is i feel that with a lot of people you normally see on these forums uh, social media all people talk about is resolution graphics frame rates and ray tracing and xbox this versus playstation that versus nintendo but no one seems to talk about the games and the mechanics and what is behind it i mean with hindsight i feel the most important thing i took away from my games design course was to look at games with a different with a wider lens and in a different way so when i play a game i you know i play on certain difficulties and i look at how things are made up and why things are the way they are you know, you have things in games like trigger events, collision detection, um, you know, varying different mechanics and systems. And, but as well, games are also a powerful medium for storytelling and education. I believe playing video games is good for mental um, agility, you know, uh, mental exercise, and to give you certain skills to take away into the real world. And of course, immersion, you know, the most important thing. And uh, I just feel that's kind of lost. And we need to preserve that, you know, in the culture of video games. We, you know, we want people talking about the games instead of arguing about console specifications. You know, it's not all about that. It's about the games, why you enjoy them, why games are the way they are, you know. And uh, I just feel lock-on is a really good avenue uh, for us to talk about, you know, those aspects of games and uh you know to, and to educate people and to also preserve history you know because we're going to have a lot of historical content with different viewpoints from different people who are passionate about certain games and systems uh, just for ex you know example in the, the first volume we've got a, a large section dedicated to the uh, playstation one and there's going to be stuff in there that people probably never thought about you, you know and um but also, importantly, uh, content uh, and stories from people talking about them growing up with the PlayStation, what their experiences were. And we're hoping that will spark a, a lot of thought in people into how they can relate to that as well, you know, through their lives. Uh, because I, I, I think, um, you know, a lot of us here, I, I'm sure all of us chatting right now, we've all grown up with computer games. They've played a massive part in our life. Mm. And... Um, and when we, you know, as John mentioned about, you know, video games being taken seriously, just like movies, I, I, I seriously feel that, you know, um, in terms of video games, they're, they're a more powerful form of storytelling uh, than movies, books, TV shows. I, I just feel that because of the immersion factor, the fact that you get to control the characters, you get to manoeuvre around the environments and these virtual worlds, you can live a double life, so to speak. And, uh, you know, we really want that relatable content uh, that gets people thinking, you, you know, and appreciating games a bit more. And that's why preservation is important to me, as well as obviously keeping old systems running and, you know, ensuring that the games that we buy both physically and digitally will work for decades and decades to come and also be available, you know, for us to show to our children and our grandchildren. So that's what preservation means to me. Yeah, I mean, very well said. When I when I set up, does it play like two years ago? The whole concept behind it was to let just to inform people how discs performed. Like that was all it was. Mm -hmm. It was just so if you bought this disc from this shop, you put it in your console in the in, and then in ten years time when the internet goes down, you can't get your patches. How will you play that game? What will it look like? That was the original concept. And it very quickly took off. We had quite a few people interested and we, we cultivated like a small community. Then I started getting people that wanted to help. So I brought more people in 
and then it grew and it grew and it grew and then it we we started hitting uh we started uh actually looking into stuff then and we started getting in touch with developers and i think our big break was when we uh when we looked into cooking mama and we basically discovered that it was a blockchain scam and we announced that on twitter and it went viral and that we got lots of uh, followers from that and uh, from then on uh, we did a few other campaigns and the next one that got us noticed was when we uh, we managed to get an xbox early a series early um and we uh, revealed that it couldn't be set up without the internet and that the discs would not work online and basically um we had pitchforks after us, mobs of people, hate mail, death threats following us, you know, to, you, know you name it. And uh, it, I took it really start, you know, like it really hurt me because I couldn't understand why people were being so defensive of something that I just want to, I don't care if you buy digital, I don't care if you buy physical, I don't care if you, you know, like I feel that games like Jason are a really good force for good, but they're also, a, they can also be a real force for bad. And that can be in the form of microtransactions, loot boxes, service games, uh, market manipulation, using games as a way of monetizing human beings. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I'm against that stuff. And I'm also very pro-environmental. So I'm I'm very pro-preservation, um, long-term accessibility, accessibility for all, repairable technology. I don't agree with server obsolescence, which is when you buy an item and in five years' time it stops working because the server doesn't exist anymore. I believe if you buy a game console or a game, it's yours, and in generations' time they should be able to play you know, that and live that experience. And I think games should be as protected as films are. There are laws that say films have to be protected and I think eventually we'll reach the stage with digital media where the laws change and game companies can't force them to be online and the DMCA will change and they will become protected works. Like they will be required to ensure those servers are active if they're going to make the games. We just haven't reached that stage yet. So I'm just trying to push for that, really. So we had this massive kickback and then it just took a life of its own. I kind of I got like another 10 or 15 people involved. And then the whole battery PlayStation stuff happened. But what was really interesting with the battery stuff, when we just, I had an email from somebody and I looked into it and we confirmed it was real. And then we tweeted about it and it didn't really pick up that much steam. And then a big site retweeted it. They must have noticed it. And we had 20 or 30 million engagements that week. My phone wow. did not stop. But what was interesting was with the Xbox campaign, nine out of 10 comments were telling you to go in yourself. But with the PlayStation campaign, nine out of 10 comments were supporting, supporting you. Mm. They were saying like, you know, we gained thousands of followers. We had loads of emails of support. People wanted to help us. And also dead lifelong PlayStation fans saying to us, we do not want our games lost to time. We truly care mm. about single player games. Help us. What can we do to help, you know, to make Sony fix this? And that's where the, that's where the campaign came about. And I'm not sure if it's just the case that because of what happened with Xbox in 2013, if most of the market who did care left the platform potentially like Mm. and then the market that was left mainly would now consist of i mean xbox spent the last generation really building an audience based around multiplayer and service games and now more so games pass so i would imagine they would be a lot lower on the denomination chart to care about offline preservation single player because they just haven't had it for a generation i feel like Mm -hmm. everyone who goes to xbox or who, who they've cultivated wouldn't really care about that stuff whereas playstation and nintendo are kind of known for single player experiences offline games and stuff so i think the audience is there that's the difference the audience is there now we've been getting a lot of feedback recently like can you look at xbox again can you please help us and some real hardcore xbox fans have been emailing us like um i don't want my games to be lost forever can you please make a, a can you please help us bring this to light so that we can try and force Xbox to remove these stupid requirements. So we are going to look at it again. And I'm hopeful now that we've quadrupled in size and we have the reach bigger than several, you know, massive brand accounts that maybe we can actually force change. Um, I've already looked at forcing change like legally through uh, right to repair laws and stuff. So we're looking at different avenues, but it would just be nice if the companies just did it because they wanted you know, just to be pro-consumer. Okay, yeah, we'll just remove the silly online setup that isn't necessary. We're just using it to inflate our uh, membership numbers. We'll just remove that and we'll let you, you know, put your disc in, play the game offline. Shebang, awesome, sorted. So the battery issue was one thing. The online setup's an even worse demon. And all all that will happen in the current situation is one day the servers will go down, 100 million plastic boxes will become useless, as will every game on that platform. And you're basically just assuming that that company 
who, if for example, Nintendo is known for shutting servers, Sony is known for shutting servers, as we've just seen, Xbox is known for killing products, as is Google, they will not keep these servers up forever, which people seem to believe. And what will happen is thousands of games will be lost forever. That is the only outcome that happens with server obstinance. So the more games like go for always online and this, they will just be gone forever. There is no other outcome. And that is kind of what Does It Play was about. And yeah, some of that did leak into lock on, definitely. I mean, my whole ethos was, you know, to preserve this, what we could of games to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the gaming magazines of old, right? Like you, th- those are things that you can tangibly hold and look back yeah. on and go, hey, this is what was happening at that time. And sure, we've got the internet for that now, but those aren't, you know, those, if, if a site fails, that's gone. Uh, the content yeah, we, is gone. We wanted to preserve it as well. Like, and we also wanted to have the content be like, not something you would find on the internet. I mean, we kind of, some of the stuff for volume one, two is really obscure and you wouldn't, you wouldn't find it on an SEO based website, or you would probably maybe find it on some deep dark corner of the internet. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of the stuff, I mean, for volume two, I mean, it's, it's no surprise. We're looking at ratchet and clank content. Um, we've, we've started looking at the pokey skip speed running community. I mean, it's the most random thing in the world, but like it made a really fascinating video that I watched and I loved it. And then one of the writers on the team approached me and said he would love to speak to that community and try and write an article about it. So we're going to go for it. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, a big gaming website writing a full feature and doing artwork and, you know, doing interviews with the speedrunning gaming community. But that's what Lock On is about. It's about bringing together these enthusiast niches, bringing together the speedrunners, bringing together the people that love art, bringing together the people that cried of Final Fantasy VII. It's about bringing all of these people together into a product that represents what we all love, which is video games. Yeah. You know, love them or hate them. I'm here because I like stories. I'm here because I love video games. If this industry was all online shooters, if I would leave it, I would not be interested in it. I'm here, you know, indie. Basically, what keeps me going nowadays really is Nintendo indie games and first-party PlayStation software on oh, Capcom. Yeah. I mean, I can't really see what else keeps me here. So I want to be able to bring different communities together from all platforms into one place where they can, you know, share a share a love for the medium. Really. Yeah, which is fa- a fantastic thing uh i feel i feel like so it's it's weird that gaming has gotten to this point where it has kind of broken off into different subsections like you mm. say which is great but you don't you don't often hear about certain sections of the uh fandoms of things mm. and you, you just hear about things like you know call of duty you hear about the latest call of duty every year you hear about you know the latest i don't know ufc game the stuff that's popular that that is mass you know mass popularity fortnite that kind of stuff i love fortnite by the way i've probably played that more than any other game for the last year and a half (coughs) like it's been my lockdown game fortnite uh great social game but yeah so i guess lock on is a great place to bring these disparate kind of strands of gaming fandom together which is which sounds very very cool if someone came to me and said i want to write a story about how fortnite helped me cope with the lockdown i'd be like absolutely because that was an experience you loved i mean i I said we don't want to give a platform to like some of the more nefarious things in the industry but i don't deem everything nefarious you know there's been i loved i really enjoyed fall guys i must have spent like 50 hours falling around on that Mm -hmm. game Uh, and i'm not really one for online games no i thought that was fantastic i actually enjoyed it i was you know relatively good at it which is great for an online game because I'm really terrible. Um, I mean, I, I back in the day, I mean, I even played Call of Duty. I just feel like some of these things have manifested themselves into a very different um, market to what I believe in, um, especially mm-hmm. with some of the bigger publishers. So we're kind of, you know, we're, we're dancing around it really, but that doesn't mean we won't cover games of their pasts and, you know, different aspects of it. We won't talk about the artwork involved in those storylines. And it would be not, mm-hmm. I think we kind of, when we set out to do this, we had an ethos, we would only talk about, content that could be preserved so anything that was unpreservable we would not speak about mm-hmm. now that varies because in some ways memories are preservable if that makes sense so you talking about yeah. how that online game helped you and that is preserved you know that's preservation so you know because those memories are important to you so it really varies um we've had some interest in you know before before all this started i was looking into doing a, an article about video game addiction i mean i've met a few people that have like wasted tens of thousands of pounds on video game addiction on loot boxes and that's kind of why i've got this disdain for it because i've seen it how there and i met a psychologist and his job was i'm not going to tell you who and what gaming company 
but mm. he was he was licensed by a gaming company to make the the loot grind more addictive um, and he was wow. consulted and that was his whole job was to literally make these little curves so that they weren't obviously addictive but they were just enough so that you had an impulse trigger and that was his job and he was telling me all about it we sat down we had a we had a drink we spoke about it and it was terrifying and these were like big companies that you know you play their games all the time and these games are being and that's the downside with this growth of the industry so now it's bigger than movies and you know music combined isn't it so i think people lose perspective i was trying to say so the other day somebody said to me like oh man you know like nobody buys discs anymore and i'm like right physical gaming market is 15 billion okay which to put into perspective that's like i don't know uh one two three four seven times the size of the physical music market three times the size of the physical movie market and that's something that everyone considers small physical games and it's huge that just gives you a scale and that for example for nintendo is a big deal but for playstation they sell you know a billion physical games and it's only like five percent of their sales you know uh, of their revenue and that really shows you how big the gaming industry is now ea i think like 70 percent of their money is now microtransactions you know wow. the money they make off uh, the money they make off game sales, physical and digital, is infinitesimally smaller compared to how much money they make off gold packs on FIFA. And it will get to the stage eventually they won't even charge for games because they'll be making so much money from these revenues. It will just become their games will become subscriptions. You will just pay monthly mm-hmm. to access their games, and that terrifies me. That really, really terrifies me. <laughs> and I feel like with that we risk losing, um, you know, so much of the industry. It kind of that, that, that I feel like that is a threat. So for me, it's important to bring the people together that, you know, the video game, like you said, it's so big now we have subgenres. Like if you look at music, you have uh, the vinyl fans. Yeah. And they, they kind of get brought together or like with books, you have book clubs, people meet up and there's different genres. Gaming is now so big that it sustains millions of different fan groups, millions of different categories, millions of different beliefs, millions of different buying preferences. And that's why the person on Twitter that tells you nobody buys discs anymore or the person that tells you I like buying discs, they're, they're the complete contrast and neither of them is correct because it will actually fall somewhere in the middle. It's not black and white, mm-hmm. you know, it's gray. And it's the same with everything, isn't it? Like you're seeing yeah. someone's opinion, you're not actually seeing reality. And that's why you shouldn't really get into arguments on uh, you know, social media about this stuff because all you're, li- all you're looking at is an opinion, not a fact. Mm-hmm. And I feel like... Yeah. All we want to present is people's, you know, people's stories, people's truths, people's opinions and kind of bring that together. But we want the community to tell us, you know, about their beliefs, you know, their opinions. And that's kind of what we've gone about is bringing these uh, enthusiasts together, really. Fantastic. All right. Well, I knew that the questions I was going to ask, they were going to lead to some lengthy discussions. Sorry. Um, so we're gonna, <laughs> let's, uh, I, I can ask loads more questions and we could we could talk forever and ever about this stuff and i'm sure in a future episode we will pick it up and talk about it again some more but i thought uh we should wrap it up and we do have one last thing to do um so since we're a podcast uh rather than a book or you know a game or something of that kind you know our our form of of delivery is via the medium of sound of course listening to us speak now there's uh no visuals if there are visuals then maybe stop taking magic mushrooms uh i figured <laughs> that it was uh it'd only be right for us to talk a little bit about music and since we have the big man himself on for the first episode i'm gonna be using you as a bit of a guinea pig john yeah for the segment uh so i hope you're ready for some musical memories comment okay so what will happen and hopefully we'll do this going forward for some of our guests as well is that you'll choose a song from literally anywhere anything cult i guess so that could be a piece of music that you like from a game from a film uh from a tv show like a a band that you like anything could be anything we'll play we'll play a little snippet for everybody and can't play too much because of uh copyright uh but you get the idea and we'll put we'll put a link uh to youtube or something in the show notes and then uh, you kind of just tell us why you picked it what memories it's brought up um what feelings it's brought up for you and we'll have a bit of a chat about it if that's that's all right yeah absolutely okay uh so we'll have a little bit of a, a listen to the song uh, john can you let us know what the what the song is yeah it's uh, to the ancient land and it's the intro music to shadow of the colossus on the playstation 2 <laughs>
So th- that is quite the piece of music that is like, yeah, it it definitely sets the scene for that game, right? Like you can, I can picture that game in my head already just listening to that. I mean, it's one of those pieces of music. I mean, it was it was a tough choice. It was that or like the Final Fantasy VII opening, and there's so many great songs that like spark vivid memories of my childhood. But that mm. haunting opening, I I remember playing it and. It was the, probably one of the first times I realized video games are art. That's how important yeah. that game is to me. And I remember all my friends were playing like different games. And like I was going to school and I was just like, I'm playing this game called Shadow of the Colossus. And um, I was telling them about it. They were like, oh, I don't understand. And I'm like, let's come around my house after. And they would come in my house and they would play this game. And then they would ask to borrow it. And before I before I knew it, I'd lent the game around the entire school, um, and everyone loved it. And like, it was a game that none of these people would have experienced unless, you know, luckily I kind of used my power of being able to talk to anyone to like go around. Like, have you heard about our Lord and Savior, <laughs> Fumita Ueda? <laughs> like, and I kind of spread the. I hadn't played Eco, so I kind of completely new to it. I went in a blockbuster, I think it was, and I had to choose a game. And I just grabbed it off the shelf. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. It's in a paper case. It's got some art cards. I like drawing monsters. I used to draw all the time, as I said. And uh, I took it to camera. I took it home. And yeah, I adored it. And I kind of started to realize then that because I never really liked uh, my favorite games growing up were I really enjoyed Final Fantasy, Resident Evil, Odd World. Um, but then as things started to evolve, a lot of genres started like Grand Theft. Everyone was playing Grand Theft Auto. It just didn't do anything for me. And I was just he was like, hey, look, we're blowing, we're blowing everyone up. And I got a jetpack. And I'm like, but I'm on a horse, <laughs> you know, like this is what it is. And yeah, I, I kind of realized for me that, that that games were art and the music to this day brings me back for, to the first time I put that on my PlayStation 2, you know, and I, I started playing it. I realized how important games were going to be, you know, to mm. me in the future, I think. Fantastic. Yeah, it's uh it is a great game. I'm sure that we'll be featuring it in a future oh, volume yes. of Lock in on. a big way, in a big yeah. way, and we have a world-renowned artist on board for that one. So, watch this space. Amazing. Wow. Very exciting. Very very exciting. Um all right. Well, let's leave it there so we don't outstay our welcome. Uh, but thank you very much everybody for listening to the first episode of course going forward uh, we won't just be talking about lock on although you know we'll we'll bring it up every now and again let you know how things are going with it uh, we'll be picking a different topic or we'll be having different guests on each time to talk about various things in the world of cult media so it could be video games it could be movies could be anything really uh we'll 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 decide and you'll listen and hopefully you'll enjoy it so <laughs> let's uh let's look forward to the next one john where can people find you online if they want to come and bother you? They want to bother me. I'm at John Doyle Design, um, and obviously at Lost in Cult, which is available yes. on all social media platforms. So please uh, give us a follow and look at some of the fantastic artwork and writing you know that we've got on display from so so many talented people. Um, and the same again with the website, which is www.lostincult.co.uk, and you can read all about what we've been up to. Excellent. Uh, Jason, where can people find you? Um, I was contemplating about changing this, but I'll keep it for now. Uh, <laughs> you can find me at Play Sushi UK. That is at Play Sushi UK. That's a, that's a memorable handle. People, I don't know why you'd want to change it. I don't know. Uh, some people see. Uh, I've I've seen uh, across the past few days. Some people want to change to their real names, but um, it's got meaning for me. It describes yeah. the character. Yeah, I might, I'll see how I feel. You always, you always know you're serious when you change to your real name on Twitter. Yeah. I mean, everyone was like, "Don't do it, you'll get cancelled." I'm like, "No, I'll, you know, I'm fine. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm just a normal person. Let me put my name up, so everyone knows who we are." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think I, I might keep it. Keep yeah, it. Do it. <laughs> exactly i i don't have my real name as my twitter handle um my, my twitter handle is at oddman84 
on Twitter if you fancy uh, bothering me. Um, and as John said, it's at Lost in Cult on Twitter um, for everything Lost in Cult and Lock On. And you may already be listening to this through this particular service, depending on when we launch it. But if not, uh, keep an eye out for steadyhq.com forward slash Lost in Cult, uh, where you'll be able to see lots of other stuff, which I'm sure we'll reveal later. But I'm just putting it in here just on the off chance that it's launched by the time that we put this out. So, <laughs> um, that's everything. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, do join us next time because we do have a special guest for episode two. You don't want to miss it. Take care. See you later. Bye.